If you grew up in the evangelical church like I did, then that sound and that song is not really foreign to you. It's a very famous hymn called Trust and Obey. I have to admit that the song brings back some really great memories of my childhood for which I am eternally grateful. But when I look at the lyrics now with a different lens, I realize that it paints our relationship with God in a very transactional light. God's pleasure in me comes when I perform just right. I don't think so. But the reason I was thinking about that hymn is because I've been thinking a lot about trust. I've been trying to live out this idea of trust, but I'm learning that control is much easier. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. Let me start by making my case around the word trust. I'm not talking about trust as a noun, but rather trust as a verb, the actual act of trusting. When we say, in God we trust, like it says on American Money, what does that trust look like? Or in a maybe more down-to-earth example, if I say, I trust my wife, what does that look like? How does that actually play out in my life? If you look up the word trust in the dictionary, you find something like believing in the reliability of or the ability of someone. And that's fair enough. But it seems like language falls quite short of what trust really looks like. If I say I believe in the reliability or the ability of my wife, it feels pretty weak because trust is so much deeper and so much richer than that. Trust is almost like mystical in a sense. I think that's evidenced by the pain that we feel when someone we have put our trust in breaks that trust. It can and oftentimes produces this deep wound that sometimes takes a really long time to heal or to rebuild. Many of you, if not most of you, know exactly what I'm talking about. It's also true that the building of trust between two people takes time. It's a process that doesn't happen overnight, and it's a process that just gets richer and deeper as the years go on. So if all of that is true, then what is the opposite of trust? Again, if you go to the dictionary, you find words like doubt or questioning or mistrust. But again, that all kind of feels a little bit weak to me. And I don't want to argue with Merriam-Webster 
But let me be so bold as to reframe this idea of trust and mistrust a little bit. And this is going to kind of serve as my hypothesis, if you will, for the rest of the episode. I would suggest that trust is the willingness to let go of control. And if that's true, then control would be the opposite of trust. So let me say this again, just to let it sink in so you get where I'm coming from. If, if trust is about letting go, then it seems that control is the opposite or the antithesis, you could say, of trust. Now, I'm not saying that control is always bad. There are times we need to take control, such as in abusive situations or with boundaries that we need to set in our personal lives or when trust has been broken. But there are also times when our control is excessive and we need to trust and let go. I find this especially true in my spiritual journey. Letting go is very difficult sometimes. And the good news is, though, is that we're all like that. Well, maybe that's not good news, but at least it's comforting to know that you are all just as messed up as I am. But some of us clearly have more control issues than others, but letting go is rarely easy for any of us. You see examples of this throughout the Bible. People struggling to trust each other. People struggling to trust God. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah, or sometimes it's called the Law. So when the Bible speaks about the Law, it's usually speaking about that set of books, the first five books of the Old Testament. But then within that Law, there are the Ten Commandments that everybody is familiar with, but also hundreds of other commands as well. Now, by the time of Jesus, many of those commands that were found in the law were interpreted by the Pharisees with all kinds of new commands on top of the old commands. So, for example, there were more than 600 different laws around the one law about keeping the Sabbath. It seems, and this is the important part, it seems that the rabbis in the Jewish tradition didn't really trust the people to take the law and interpret it for themselves. The biggest conflict in the first century after the time of Jesus was between the Jews and the Gentiles. Many of the Jewish religious leaders did not like the idea of Gentiles in their midst at all. But if they had to be there, the Jews were going to control them. The Gentiles, they said, had to be circumcised and had to follow the customary Jewish laws. But here's the core issue. They didn't trust the Gentiles to figure out what being a follower of Jesus meant for themselves. 
But that isn't just true of the first century religious leaders. I'm afraid that many of our modern religious leaders do the same thing. And when I speak of modern religious leaders, I put myself in that category. Sometimes we don't trust people to live out their spirituality in a way that seems right to them. We feel like we have to intervene and make sure they get it just right. We tell them how they must believe and how they must act and exactly how to interpret the Bible because it seems they can't actually be trusted to figure that out for themselves. I'm Jonah Collins. I'm the oldest grandchild in the Collins family. And I'm here to tell you about the ways you can help my grandpa get his message out. First, you can go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this and give him a five-star review. And write a few words about how the podcast is helping you. After that, you can go to Patreon.com and help by supporting the podcast, by giving money. Even a dollar each month helps a lot. And last, you can sign up for the newsletter called In Black and White. All the links are below. You just have to click on them. Now let's get back to my grandpa. Let me take a short detour here. But I think this is important and really interesting when we're talking about this idea of trust. As you know, if you followed this podcast for any length of time, I still struggle with the Bible. And exactly how do we interpret it? And what do I do with passages that are just outright wrong, or with passages that contradict each other. It's an ongoing struggle for me and probably always will be. I think part of the reason is that I've always believed that there must be one correct way to interpret the Bible, and I have to find that way. In fact, it's so ingrained in me that it's hard to come to terms with it a different way. When I first started down this path, I heard progressive theologians speak of reimagining the Bible. Oh my gosh, that freaked me out. No, 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 you can't do that. And there is certainly some of that still in me for sure. But what if God is not freaked out by that at all? What if God's attitude is more like this? I know that this book is not always accurate, and I know that at times the writers of the Bible didn't really understand who I am, and I know it can be confusing, but I choose to trust these people to figure that out for themselves. 
I choose to trust them to honor and cherish this book in a way that they are able to use it for themselves in a time and a culture in which they live. I choose to trust people to reimagine this thing. For me, I have to believe that that is true. Otherwise, why didn't God make it more clear? Why is the Bible so difficult to understand or to get your head around? Did this all-knowing, all-powerful God screw up? I don't think so. But why do black theologians see this so differently than white theologians? And, or why do female theologians see it different than male ones? Or Eastern theologians versus Western theologians? Why does the same book give such different answers depending on the filter through which you are looking? Maybe God trusts us to get it right. Maybe God trusts us to reimagine it in our place and our time. There's a wonderful passage in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, that says, We can love because God first loved us. But what if this is also a true statement? This isn't in the Bible. But what if this is also true? We can trust because God first trusted us. When I learned to drive many, many years ago, there was driver's training in my school. But in South Africa, you get a learner's permit with a written test, and then your parents have to teach you how to drive. So that's what I did with all my boys. I was not a very patient instructor, to say the least. Fathers should never teach their children to drive. It's just not fair to dad or to the kid. But when they eventually got their driver's license, I had to let them go solo in my car. Some days that worked out better than other days, but I had to make a choice to trust them. I knew they could drive just fine, but there was still a knot in my stomach when they drove out the driveway. I had to trust them. I had to completely let go of control and to trust. Trust is a choice that we make. Yes, it's based on some things that have gone before, but I choose to trust. And it's almost always a risk that I take because I could get burned, but I choose to trust. What if we can choose to trust? because God chose to trust us first. I must admit that that's a hard idea to get my head around. God chooses to trust me 
just meditate on that for a while. Even though I've broken trust at times, even though I'm not always that trustworthy, God actually chooses to trust me, that is a game changer. Okay, let's get back on track to my original question. What does it mean to trust God? How do I do it? What does it really look like in reality? I'm a big fan of control. When I'm in a car, I prefer to drive. When I'm in a group, I prefer to lead. When someone needs to make a plan, I prefer to be the one. It's all about control. And when I say that out loud, it sounds so freaking arrogant, doesn't it? But I don't think I'm necessarily the best, but I like to be in control. I like to call the shots. Here's the truth. I even like to control God. I like to dictate just how much struggle I can handle. I like to dictate how my day goes. I like to be in charge of my own plans and my own future. Letting go of control does not come naturally to me. There are so many stories in the Bible where people are given the opportunity to let go and trust but they just couldn't do it. The story of the rich man comes to mind. Jesus, um, he came to Jesus and asked him how he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus' reply was, well, you know the commandments, so why are you asking me? And the guy says, no, I've done all that. I've kept all the laws since I was a kid, so now what? Then Jesus says, okay, well then, go sell everything you own and give all the money to the poor and then come and follow me. It's the only time Jesus said anything like this to anybody that we know of. It wasn't like a standard answer that Jesus gave. So why is he telling this guy to sell everything he has and give his money to the poor? What I think he's saying is, Dude, you need to let go. You need to give up control. Your law-keeping, if you actually do it as well as you say you do, your law-keeping is just about trying to control God. It's like, I've done all this, God, so now you owe me. But what this guy needed and what I need is to let go, to trust. Immediately after the rich guy walks away, Jesus tells his disciples that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get to heaven. So why does he say it? Because it seems that the more we have, the more we want control. Jesus is saying, that trust, that letting go is really hard. Sometimes trust is about letting go of our stuff.
And let's face it, if we're honest, most of us have too much stuff anyway. And God is saying, just let go. Also, the story of Jonah comes to mind. Now, forget the part about the big fish. That just messes the story up, actually. In this story, God comes to Jonah and tells him to go to Nineveh and warn the people about a coming destruction. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He was quite happy to see them destroyed. I mean, why in the world would he want to go there to save them? God is basically asking Jonah to let go of his hatred, to let go of his racism. It wasn't about Jonah going to preach because he eventually did that. But what is clear in the story is that Jonah never actually let go of the hatred, the racism, and the bitterness that we held. He was never able to trust. Sometimes trust means that we need to come face to face with our own racism, our own hatred, or bitterness, or unforgiveness, and just let it go. Trust is hard. But then there are the stories of the people who actually did let go. Take Zacchaeus, for example. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and, and that's a big deal. You didn't become the chief tax collector in that day without high levels of corruption and greed. But then he comes into contact with Jesus one day. And we don't know much about the conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus other than Jesus saying, we need to talk. But after that talk, Zacchaeus announces that he's going to give half of his wealth away, and then the other half he is going to use to pay back the people he's cheated, which is kind of everybody, and he was going to pay them back four times what he cheated them out of. The word we use today is reparations. Talk about letting go. That's what trust looks like. Sometimes it looks like reparations. When you read through the life of Jesus, you see over and over again his willingness to let go. It kind of comes to a head one day when Jesus is talking to the disciples about his imminent torture, betrayal, and death. I wonder if Jesus was actually looking for encouragement from his friends and not just trying to prophesy something or not just trying to give out information. He knew that letting go was going to be really hard, and maybe he was hoping his friends would say, It's okay, Jesus, you got this. We are here for you. 
But instead, Peter tells him, don't talk like that, Jesus. And Jesus' response was, get behind me, Satan. Peter was urging Jesus to take control. Don't let those things happen to you, Jesus. But Jesus is doing just the opposite. He is trying to be willing to let go of control. Then we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, Father, not my will, but yours. It's the ultimate letting go. The ultimate picture of trust. So here's the question. What is it that you need to let go of? What is it that I need to let go of? I'm not talking about a once-off deal here. I'm talking about what is that thing that you need to let go of every day? And sometimes over and over and over again every day. Maybe it's the need to be right all the time. Oh my gosh, that one hits the spot for me. I love to be right. But it's something I got to let go of over and over. Or maybe it's the need for approval or esteem. Or maybe it's the need to be seen as successful that you have to let go of over and over. Or maybe it's the need for security and certainty or the need for peace and harmony. There's plenty of examples I could give, but my point is that this is different to each and every one of us. What trust looks like in my life is unique to me. And what trust and letting go looks like in your life is unique to you. So why is this important? Why do we need to let go of those things? Because they're killing us. Because they're getting in the way of being the best version that of you that you can possibly be. They're getting in the way of your relationships with the people that you love, their baggage that you just don't need, so just let it go. So let me wrap this up with a, just a little bit of my own personal journey that is going on even as I speak. If you follow me on Facebook, you might have seen an announcement that my wife, Sheila, and I made a couple of weeks ago. After being in South Africa for the past 32 years, we've decided it's time to move back to the USA to be closer to our family. I won't bore you with all the details, but to say that it's been a difficult, long process to get to this, this decision would be a bit of an understatement. So we're in the process of unraveling 32 years in a few short months. I so want to control it all, but I can't. I don't have any idea of what it's going to look like. And I don't have any idea of the timing of all of this. And believe me, I am freaking 
out. I want to plan and imagine what it'll look like, but I just can't. So my mantra in this season has been, trust the process. It means that I have to let go of my need to control what tomorrow looks like. I just have to do what I can do today and trust the process. Letting go of control is always scary and it always feels like a big risk. But what I would suggest that it's the path to joy and fulfillment and to the very best version of you that you can imagine. So how do you do that? Well, I trust you to figure that out for yourself. I would love to hear from you this week, especially those of you that listen and you know I have no idea that you are listening. It may take me a few days to get back to you because life's kind of crazy right now, but I will get back to you, I promise. The links that Jonah mentioned are below, so check them out. And so until next time, stay safe. Shalom. Shalom.